submit a story, topic, or have any other inquiries, please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skibanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skibanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi, please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560-271, The Colony, Texas 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, and click that notification bell so you never miss an episode of Skiba News Nation. If you want to help support us, please consider becoming a Patreon where you will get exclusive content, shoutouts, and much more. And you can also support our channel by getting yourself some new Skiba News Nation merch. Thank you for coming on this journey with us as we continue to stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Skiba News Nation. Also, you can listen to Skiba News Nation podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. I want to know what the truth is. And I hope that people, my son, anybody, if my name comes up, whether you like me, whether you agree with me or not, at least you can respect the fact that he's on a quest for truth. He's on a quest for truth. Welcome to Skiba News Nation bringing you unfiltered views, news, interviews, discussions, and more. And now, here's your host, Jeremiah Skiba, award-winning musician and son of Rob Skiba. Hey, Skiba News Nation family. Welcome to episode 53 of Skiba News Nation, your weekly source of the latest news, controversial topics, conspiracies, forgotten history, and much more. I'm your host, Jeremiah Skiba, and today we're going to be talking about Sounds of Freedom, the movie that will expose human and child trafficking, desire to use psychedelics, adrenochrome, and ketamine by the elite, CDC preparing for the zombie apocalypse, an all-new Opus Corner, and for history, we'll be talking about Jeffrey Epstein's story and revealing some of the names from the Jeffrey Epstein Little Black Book. Memes and much more, so subscribe and stay tuned. Now, as always, I'd like to introduce my great and insightful co-host and one of my closest friends, Jake Grant. Welcome, Jake. Are you excited for Hebrew Fest coming up soon? Oh, man. You know I am. We've been practicing all week, uh, the Simply Prodigal Band, uh, getting ready for the big performance. We're going to have hip-hop. We're going to have uh, Torah reggae bands. Uh, a lot of folk music. It, it's going to be a huge festival, and uh, it, it's going to be a blast, man. I'm so looking forward to it. That's starting this uh, this coming Friday, and uh, I don't know if people watching this, uh, the festival is going to be starting as you're watching this, so we're going to be jamming out and having a good time uh, as this is premiering. Sweet, man. Well, before we jump into the show, I want to uh, show you guys something cool that, that one of our viewers sent us. And they sent us a couple of these cool designs, uh, these flat earth, really cool. I love this one. Uh, 
and this glow denier shirt and he has a bunch of cool stuff in his shop and uh his name is jason and if you want a cool shirt like this or some of his other cool stuff uh check out his etsy website and it's starkravingart.etsy.com so yeah get yourself a cool flat earth get yourself some some hip cool flat earth merch and uh yeah, help him out. He wants to do it as a full-time job. He's a really cool guy, so check it out. You ready to dive right in? Yeah, we got some great stories today. Let's do it. All right. Uh, fancy new little... Uh, name tag there. That's pretty cool. All right, so uh, of course, as we finally leave June, it's July, and you know, patriotism kicks the butt of the rainbow, man. Uh, this is a funny meme we had sent over to us by Chris, our friend, mm -hmm. and uh, and yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting transition, but of course, the agendas are all still there. Uh, now, of course, uh, just a, a kind reminder for those who had a fun 4th of July evening and a rough 5th morning. Uh, he who drinks a 5th on the 4th may not be able to go forth on the 5th. <laughs> so, That's a tongue twister uh, right there. We don't necessarily, uh, we didn't really do anything. Uh, we just saw some fireworks in the distance. But I find it really interesting. Somebody, uh, put, to, somebody put forth a flat earth proof or at least a, a a premise that helps you question the the international space station and satellite images of earth that we are often shown why is it that we have never been shown a live stream video of the 4th of July in America from space have you ever thought about that i've never thought about that but that that's a good point i've seen it from an airplane yeah we've only, i've only seen it from airplanes I've seen it from an airplane as well, but I think it would be something we should definitely ask NASA for, right? Like, hey guys, look, there's this beautiful thing that happens over North America every year in the 4th of July, and all these fireworks across the whole of the United States, please, 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 how about you show us a stream of that? And, uh, and you know, I, I think that would be a, a really cool footage, but yet... It has never happened, and uh, it kind of makes you uh, wonder why. But, uh, you know, somebody brought that up recently, and I was like, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> How come we haven't ever seen a satellite live stream from the ISS or, or whatever of 4th of July, uh, you know, the evening it happens, and, and show all those beautiful fireworks all across the United States? That would be cool to see. All yeah, Prove it, uh, NASA. Prove it. Yeah, let's well, that, see. Let, let, give the people what they ask for. We'll give have to ask the astronaut. For, right? When we go to Houston, we'll have to ask, <laughs> ask the astronaut. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Alrighty, uh, and uh, moving into some uh, other very important concepts. Uh, when someone accuses you of wearing a tinfoil hat, like, you know, us globe deniers, right? Or us medically disenfranchised when somebody accuses you of wearing a tinfoil hat remind them that it's better than wearing a blindfold mm -hmm. uh better to be looked at as crazy than completely 
blind. Yep. Now, uh, as we, uh, you know, navigate through this world, one of the ways that we can open our eyes and see the truth of the world is uh, is through our faith walk, through studying the scriptures and, and all that it has prophesied and, and warned us was going to happen in the world. And, and we can start to navigate these things that happen. And, uh, of course, keep in mind that this is what our generation is pushing, right? The rewriting of the scriptures to a modern PC culture, right? However, God is not going to rewrite the Bible for your generation. So stop trying to change the scripture when it's written to change you. Our generation uh, is all about, hey, it's it's what it means to me, right? But uh, what we have to come to understand that, you know, the the scriptures, the, the Torah of the Most High is a code that is interwoven into the fabric of reality. And it helps us understand the nature of our creator and the laws that he's put in place that actually govern whether your life is going to be blessed or cursed. And, uh, and then, you know, of course, we have the, the important talk of what it means, uh, you know, to, to believe in the Messiah, to have salvation. But just the, the mere principles of morality and righteousness that are in the scriptures is a code that is firmly woven into reality. And as people degrade into uh, all of these subsects of anti-biblicalism, <laughs> uh, anti-God, anti-whatever... And they start to walk out a hedonistic, secular mindset that just rejects any form of righteousness and everything is what I define it as, right? We see that, unfortunately, the very curses that the Most High warned us and loved us enough to try to say, hey, don't do this or this will happen, start to happen to our, our people, to our culture, to our families. And, uh, you know, it's a very rare breed of people that are willing to stand up for what's right. But don't forget, your path is more difficult because your calling is higher. But make it happen. Shock everyone. Stand up for what's right. Because, uh, you know, we, we, we had that t-shirt, uh, conservative is the new punk rock, mm -hmm. right? It is a rare breed. That's a higher calling. And, uh, you know, of course, this is a good reminder. Biblical Christianity is unpopular, but popular Christianity is unbiblical. Uh, mm -hmm. And so there's a reason that we want to get into the book. We want to reason. We want to solidify our faith and, and our and our purpose in this life uh, is, you know, keep in mind, whatever plans you can come up with, if you compare it to the most highest plans for you, if you seek him with your whole heart, it's infinitesimally different, right? And, uh, and so just a short encouragement for you guys this week. Um, that brings us to our first news story, uh, which I find pretty interesting, pretty interesting here. Now, check this out. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys remember this. We covered it a while ago, but the Smallville actor oh, yeah. uh, who was involved in a sex trafficking cult thing was finally released from prison, uh, Allison Mack. Did you ever watch Smallville, uh, Jeremiah? No, but is this the Nexium? uh cult that she was a part of or am i thinking of a different yes it is yeah i believe so and and uh and she was part of that superman series smallville well-known popular series right um but yeah, I watched she it. was just released from prison i watched it 
Opus said he watched it. <laughs> I re- yeah, I watched it when I was younger with my family. We were, we were really into it. It was one of those, you know, early echelons of a superhero TV show, way before Marvel and Disney and all that stuff. Uh, but, yeah, she was part of the uh, the NXIVM uh, cult. And, mm-hmm. uh, and if, uh, it, I think this is the cult where he would brand women. Yep. With his name, his initials, <laughs> and yeah. uh, pretty crazy. And it's just, uh, it's interesting that, you know, this ties into uh, your segment that you're going to be doing today, Jeremiah, uh, t- diving into a little bit of Jeffrey Epstein stuff. But, I mean, this ties in, you know, so she's released from prison. Um, and uh, it says that she expresses remorse and guilt. Uh, she was a handler for this cult and would lure women into participating in kind of the sex trafficking act. But, um, it, you know, here's another article that just came out. Uh, former child star actor speaks out about demonic event he witnessed in Hollywood as a kid. And uh, this was uh, um, Schroeder, uh, and he won a Golden Globe for a new star of the year in the motion picture for his role as John Voight's young son in The Champ. And so it's a pretty dark story, of course. Um, but he said he was hanging out with these older guys. Somebody pops in a VHS player and he sees a body in the room with people wearing hoods and a robe. And uh, they had some kind of ritual and just really disturbing, disturbing stuff. Um, and, uh, and and so this is you know this this guy who's trying to expose that there are these dark things going on in Hollywood and of course you know I just brought up the Smallville actor who was part of Hollywood um, and just the fact that this whole Illuminati type human sacrifice human sex trafficking stuff is happening is being exposed at an exponential rate right now and that is going to lead us to our first video which is a new film that's coming out talking about the sex trafficking issue and how it's a multi multi billion dollar endeavor and uh and it looks like hollywood is one of the the focal points to this horrible industry and uh, and so you know we hear stories like this, like human sacrificing and uh, Ricky Schroeder, um, you know, exposing, hey, this is what was being done and shown to me when I was a kid actor, way back, you know, when. And then we have Smallville actor involved in a cult. Well, check out this video clip, which is a new film coming out that is going to blow it all wide open. Mila mahaki hida. We have a lot to talk about. Actor, Christian, husband, father, abolitionist, acting for 30 plus years, you're a devout Catholic. You allow your faith to guide you on the projects that you choose. You've been married since 1996, which is incredible. You are a father to three adopted children from China, two, brain tumors and one that had cancer. Mm-hmm. I grew up a Catholic and when I joined the SEAL teams and some of the things that I saw it just destroyed my faith for 
the better part of 20 years. That you saw in the SEAL teams or that you saw in your faith? Police burst into a hotel room where they find the suspect accused of kidnapping an eight-year-old girl who was caught on a doorbell camera being snatched from her mother's arms. Attempted kidnapping of a 10-year-old girl caught on camera in Murrieta. And tonight, we're hearing from the girl's dad. An attempted kidnapping caught on camera. Tonight, investigators are searching for the suspect. With the piercing scream, <laughs> doing what she was taught to do, six-year-old Kennedy Nash just narrowly escaping an alleged abductor. When you think of principalities of good versus evil, every time you pray for them, you're moving angels in over them. So you're really afflicting them. They don't like the light on them. They want the demons around them. But there are sins that are unforgivable. And Jesus talks about those too. That's the rejection of the Holy Spirit. And that is a lot with this whole thing, with the children, that many of them will never ever get a chance because you, you, when a lot of these pedophiles and when they do these sins, God is telling them, do you understand? This is it. And they do it anyway. And so um, let the dead bury their dead at that point. Why would they shun you? Well, they did it immediately when I took the film. I was on all the studio lists. The Christian bigotry is the most accepted form of bigotry there is. Eli Crane told me there are no free shots on target when you're talking about spiritual warfare. Michael the Archangel is, is a patron saint to the Navy SEALs. Do you know this prayer? From my understanding, it's about the life of Tim Ballard, what he's doing, and what he's doing is saving children all across the world yeah. from being sex trafficked. Ski, the guy that I come in, one of the worst trafficker pedophiles I've ever seen. And they pick this guy up, and this little boy, five years old, and he says, will you save my sister? It's considered a modern form of slavery. The United States is the number one consumer and producer of child abuse content. When you walk out of this film, your heart's on fire. This thing's unbelievable. It's an incredible movie. So I, we, we can't show you all that stuff that I've seen, but I can take you right to the edge. The Department of Homeland Security estimates that child trafficking has an annual global profit of $150 billion. The interrogations that I got to see you always hear another voice coming out of these guys. Like the devil speaking right through them. My body had to process this out in my dreams. And a lot of them I don't remember. I had to pray deeply. It motivated me to want to get these sons of bitches. If you weren't around, Tim Ballard, none of these children are going to live. And as hard as it has been for him, he was willing to take it in the heart for Jesus.
This is to all of the agents that are out there that are very well aware of what's going on with the children, that know a lot and that are scared from coming forward. You know, I saw, um, I actually I did The Passion of the Christ when we had, when the movie was over, two people that had committed murder came forward and um, turned themselves in. That was how powerful that f film is. This one has the reverse. You watch it, you feel God's love and the power in this movie, Sound of Freedom, and it makes you unafraid. Um, I was willing to come forward and speak truthfully on things like adrenochrome, organ harvesting, and was severely reprimanded by much of the media and they claimed their fact checkers uh, knew more but they don't know like you guys know I put you up against them anytime and so but I was a burden that I was no longer burdened with anymore my career I would never put in front of the children and I just ask you to look in your heart, to go to the film Sound of Freedom, which is a phenomenal movie, which represents you. And let that be your word against what these liars have done for a long, long time. Your word, which is from God, and to speak the truth to the American people. My prayers are with you. I love you guys. Thank you for all the help that you gave me. Wow. Wow. So a very powerful presence there. You can tell that guy definitely has a higher calling standing up against Hollywood being blacklisted because he's willing to speak out about this stuff. And uh, I mean, it's crazy, Jeremiah. This, this stuff, and I, I know down in, in Texas is one of the, the most dangerous states because there's so much trafficking there near the border. Uh, have you heard any about that in your area? I haven't heard anything about in our area. I mean, to my knowledge, I, I know that I've heard stories of people being uh, like women that have been by themselves that have been kidnapped. But, you know, who knows if it's trafficking or not? I mean, sometimes they just disappear sometimes. But I think that's further, further near Mexico, further near the borders, mainly where that's happening. Gotcha. But I, is that the Mel Gibson movie? That he directed he, Mel Gibson. Uh, he, I think he is involved because he did make the Passion of the Christ, and that, of course, was the the actor of Jesus in the Passion of Christ, right? Yeah. So, uh, well, I'm sure there is a connection there. That has to do with history too, Mel Gibson. So, it's going to be one of my clips, and it's going to blow your mind. Uh, I kind of got goosebumps when I was watching it because I was like, "Wow, that that's exactly." Everything that he's saying, even uh, in Waco, when I interviewed Pastor Pace for the first time, he was talking about adrenal chrome or however you say it. I'm, I'm, yeah. I always mess that word up. And he was talking about all this stuff, all these sacrifices, all this stuff. And it's like, it's all connected. It's all connected. And it's so weird and it's so evil. 
and uh, I'm glad that they're doing this. I hope they they, and I pray that they stay safe because you know I worry about people like that, and they're you know there's a lot of people that don't want the message to be you know brought to light. If you get what if you get what I'm saying, I'm YouTube censoring myself, yeah. but so everybody I pray mean, for their safety. A lot of when there's such darkness like this being brought to light, I think it really does unify the people that want to stand for good and, and stand up for righteousness and stand up to protect the weak. Uh, and I think things like this, showing that this goes on and this exists, and there are people that have absolutely sold their souls and participated in, in these unforgivable sins uh, to the point where, you know, people have to stand up and fight and be emboldened to like stop this from happening because it's been covered up it's there's been so many lies about it and i do find it very interesting this ties to our next video that we're about to show but within hollywood within these upper illuminati illuminati level elite clubs and cult uh it seems like there's a fascination with alternative spirituality fueled by psychedelics and drugs and with the topic of, of adrenochrome, right, I, I really do think there's something to that. If, for those who are not familiar, adrenochrome is claimed to be a drug that is harvested from children or fearful individuals from their uh, adrenaline glands um, or for, uh, uh, that is secreted by fearful individuals. Uh, and when they are murdered or, or tortured, they take this drug from their body and uh and they smoke it or whatever and it's it's a very similar to dmt type experience but it, it's so interesting that recently we're having a lot of mainstream actors go on to the world stage and talk about their spirituality as determined by their psychedelic experiences and it, it's really showing that you know this topic of adrenochrome is is possible that they're trying to use these children not only as sex toys and slaves, but also to harvest their, uh, you know, harvest chemicals from their fear states uh, as some type of weird, evil ritual type thing. And this next video ties into that. It's a Jason A video about how we truly are living some dark times. And uh, check out this next clip. All right. You had just come back from Costa Rica? Yeah, not long ago. We went to, um, do you guys know what ayahuasca is? Oh, yes! So we did it for three nights. It was incredibly intense. I went to, everybody's journey is different. The second night, I went to, to hell for eternity. Um, yeah. And to just knowing eternity is, um, like, t torture in itself because there was no beginning, middle, or end. So you have, like, a real ego death. Oh, wait, no, no. How do you arrive and understand that that's what the moment is? Because is there a sign, next exit hell? Is it, I, I mean, it's, I, I was, it's your own psychological hell, basically, is the point of the medicine, right? This is a medicine that goes, it surpasses like anything you could do with talk therapy or like hypnotherapy or any of those things. It just goes straight into your soul and it takes you to the psychological prison that you hold yourself in. So it's, it's your own version of hell. And I was definitely there. Michael, the venerable Wall Street Journal had an article today called The Drugs That Power Silicon Valley. It's talking about LSD, ketamine, magic mushrooms. The first line of this article states, Elon Musk tastes ketamine. 
Yeah. Is the stigma gone from these drugs? Like, it, it seems like this. these are like serious drugs. They were like... Schedule it, one drugs. Schedule one drugs. So, so it's just kind of interesting. That struck me before I knew you were going to be on today. I read that article this morning, and I was like kind of floored. That ketamine shit is a weird one because um, a lot of people do it recreationally, and apparently they, they blast off and go into other dimensions and shit. Elon Musk takes ketamine. Google co-founder Sergey Brin occasionally enjoys magic mushrooms. Executives at venture capital firm Founders Fund, which has invested in SpaceX and Facebook, have thrown parties that include psychedelics. Silicon Valley has long had a tolerance toward drug use. But while in the past, routine drug use was squarely an after-hours activity, these days, it's become embedded in corporate culture. What is ketamine like after a catastrophic injury like that? Does it relieve the pain? Does it just put you in another dimension? But the, the way that it feels is kind of, it, it takes your perspective and it's like, it always felt like a whirlwind when they, if I was getting a push of it. But things, it's like you're starting to get your vision masked and uh, you're, pres you're still there, but you're dipping into like subconscious because you're still conscious. Because unconscious would mean that you're like, you pass out and you cannot have a gag reflex depending on how unconscious you are. So, uh, ketamine, I, I would close my eyes and immediately trip the most insane balls that you could imagine and open them and I'd be back in the room and I'd be like, what the fuck? Whoa. And then a friend of mine, uh, when I left my first rotation, he was an Air Force CCT that got uh, blown up in the same village I uh, had a few casualties in. Uh, he stepped an ID, he's an above the knee, some f missing fingers, but when he was on ketamine, when he was awake and looking around, he'd see the walls on fire, and then there'd be like women, like white pale skin in the corners, peeling the skin off their back, and he was like awake, <laughs> and I was like, dude, that, that's, shit. like whatever, I don't know, it's, it must be like someone's psychology when they go in. And there's actually scientific proof that LSD could do just that. One study funded by the U.S. government in the 60s took a group of scientists and set them out to solve 48 different physics, math, and architectural problems. Problems that the scientists themselves had been unable to solve. Each scientist was guided through a psychedelic trip, at the end of which 44 of the 48 problems had found solutions. And psychedelics have a rich history in Silicon Valley. One of the most iconic users, Steve Jobs. I moved here to work in the Apple garage, building Apple once. That was 1976. That's Daniel Kotke, one of Apple's first employees. And before we all knew Steve Jobs as the creator of one of the most successful companies in the world, Daniel knew him as the guy he used to trip with in college. It was a spiritual thing. Steve and I developed a friendship when we figured out that we had both read this amazing book called Be Here Now, hmm. which is about psychedelics and spirituality. You said that Steve had said that LSD was kind of one of the best things he ever did. Why, why was that? It expands your consciousness. It could have been mushrooms. It could have been peyote. It could have been any number of other things. Conversely, Steve was never really interested in smoking pot. That did not expand consciousness. Today, psychedelic research is having a renaissance. People in the industry say there are more studies now than there have been in decades. So there was a lot of research done in the 60s, then a little, little bit in the 70s, but funding for clinical research, LSD, dried up. You see 
the most cutting edge of the cutting edge in San Francisco. I mean, you see people printing organs, you see people prototyping things that are fundamentally change how all of us experience reality. We don't know as much about the human brain or body as we think we do. I mean, we're absolutely medieval. I think we're gonna look back in 10 years at our behavior now, and it's gonna look like bloodletting in the dark ages. Aaron Rodgers, the NFL quarterback for the Jets, speaking for an hour during the conference about his use of ayahuasca, which is a hallucinogenic tropical vine. When you find that edge, old edge, and surpass it and create a new edge, you're creating in the in-between a beautiful new piece of life and energy and love and, and, and divine guidance that comes in, it really changes your life. And we talk so much about, it, uh, about mental health, and to me, one of the core tenets of your mental health is that self-love. And that's what ayahuasca did for me, was help me see how to unconditionally love myself. And it's only in that unconditional self-love that then I'm able to truly be able to unconditionally love others. Mm -hmm. And what better way to work on, for me in my own, this is my own belief, but what better way to work on my mental health than to to have an experience like that. That ties into these cultic drugs like adrenochrome, and it just is coming further and further into the light that these people who are participating in sex trafficking and, and harvesting stuff like that, uh, I mean, it's going to become a fight against good and evil. And and while I don't necessarily have a stance on different substances, um, like I, I can't say somebody's evil for using magic mushrooms, right? Yeah. The, the connection there is that in today's world, people are seeking personal expanded consciousnesses so that they can assume their own kind of uh, perspective or view on God. And it all leads towards this topic of, uh, of kind of a, like a, a rejection of Christian beliefs, Christianity and, and the Bible for an acceptance of religions that are conjured up by people on psychedelics. And, and really what it makes is a lot of just high priests of your own home and you are your own God. And and I think that's kind of what is done in the dark with things like adrenochrome. They're obviously uh, seeking after a dark... They're basically worshipping demons, you know, those people who are engaging in these, uh, you know, dark occultic practices and using adrenochrome. Uh, but they're doing the same thing with that that is now becoming mainstream with other psychedelics. And so that's kind of the point I wanted to bring up. Well, you know that what, they... Do you, what do you think about that, Jeremiah? I, th I mean, I think it's... They're trying to... I feel like these elite people are trying to have their own miracle experience with kind of like a... Like a, like a you know, done by themselves instead of something like God. Does that make sense? Like they're trying to get that experience, yeah. but you know, it's not a real experience. But I mean, like, like you said, I don't have a problem with somebody using whatever helps them. I mean, 
maybe they find God that way. I, I, I don't know. I've never tried it. <laughs> but I know that, did you know that ketamine, the interesting fact, the government passed a law to where people that have PTSD can now take uh, ketamine. And it's supposed to help with that. Now, I know nothing about ketamine, but I know that there was, I'm, I don't know if I can keep this in here, but they pumped my dad full of ketamine. And it was weird it's to the fact where I was like, what is this? And I had to look it up and then that's how I found all this info that I just said. But it was so strange. But I don't know. I don't yep. really know what to think about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Um, I don't necessarily know. I mean, ho horse tranquilizer, right, is one story. But um, the topic of there's this constant battle back and forth between naturalistic herbs and medicines that I do believe the almighty put on earth to be used for our health and, mm -hmm. and, and wellness. And there's a reason certain plants have certain properties. Um, and it's not to demonize, you know, no, no. Oh, Hey, you know, that, that guy smokes the devil's lettuce. So that means he's evil. The problem is, is right now that there's a big push with pharmaceutical companies banning and ostracize and condemning people that participate in herbalistic natural medicines versus what they want to give you over the counter with a pill and they've kind of indoctrinated our culture to be more accepting of a chemical compound that is made mm -hmm. by a man in a white lab coat than something that grows out of the earth and and the case is is that no matter what substance there is there's always room for abuse but it, it's it's really interesting how our culture is shifting from where only mainstream pharmaceutical things are being are accepted as oh you're okay if you take this you know oxycodone or 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 or, or whatever and uh, and and now we're transitioning into a kind of a more naturalistic treatment of mental health issues and 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 pain treatment uh and and i think there is benefit to that of getting out out from the control of the pharmaceutical companies but there's also a danger uh as we open the door the, i mean whenever you take psychedelics i believe you're opening a spiritual door and if if your life is full of crap you're opening a door to the demons that you've surrounded yourself with if that makes sense yep. um and you know, I think this is definitely an interesting age to live in to see uh, as more things are legalized and allowed across the world that, uh, you know, for one, it, it allows more freedom to treat ourselves outside of the pharmaceutical companies, but also it is encouraging the next couple generations to, you know, pursue, you know, spirituality recreationally uh, through substances, which I think uh, can really burn people out to an actual empirical scripture-based faith. And, and I think that's one of the negative agendas to this whole push for all these psychedelics and stuff. Yep. I agree with you. All right. So let's look at a couple articles. Uh, we have some interesting stuff here. Uh, you know, finalizing on this drug topic, it looks like here, uh, the Secret Service discovers cocaine inside the White House. Uh, a uniformed U.S. Secret Service agent discovered a powdery white substance in the White House this week, prompting a brief evacuation. 
The substance later identified in preliminary testing as cocaine. So I guess the Biden administration's, you know, snorting up there. You know, Where was Hunter? Where was oh, Hunter? <laughs> Where was Hunter during this discovery? He, he dropped a baggie, uh, allegedly. Um, okay, so <laughs> I thought that was uh, funny in, That's in terms hilarious. of, uh, you know, coming off the end of this uh, segment about drugs and stuff. Here yeah, we kids, have, don't do uh, drugs. Don't do drugs, kids. Here we have a New York Post uh, article about the world's first fully electric flying car has been approved by the FAA and is accepting pre-orders. We are entering into the golden age of flying car technology, guys. Back Here to the comes. future. Here we go. Meet George Jetson. A California company building a flying electric car is now taking pre-orders. Aleph Aeronautics Flying Cars has been given a special airworthiness certification from the FAA, right? Uh, so the Model A car, it looks like this. It's uh, $300,000 for a pre-order, which actually doesn't sound that expensive for an actual flying car. It's kind of crazy. But it's uh, I guess it's pretty much a giant drone that you can sit in like a car. But apparently this is what it would look like. Uh, the fully electric vehicle is a low-speed vehicle that can be driven up to 200 miles on public roads and fits into a regular garage, but it can also launch vertically into the air and fly a range of 110 miles. That's so cool. And do you have to have, like, a special pilot's license, or how does that work? Uh, I'm sure there probably will be a price uh, a process to it, um, unless uh, uh, even more kind of eerie unless it's an automated vehicle and <laughs> that would be kind of crazy if it was like oh yeah you you can fly in this drone but you can't pilot it it'll fly you where you want to go and it's like oh uh, just get ready for the insurance claims coming against <laughs> this company when people start falling and crashing from the sky whether people are flying it or not but uh it looks yeah, like back just to the an future interesting, uh, little technical advancement that's coming onto the world stage very soon uh here's a, another article a spanish archaeologist is seeking to raise an ancient phoenician wreck so archaeologists from the university of valencia are laying the groundwork to raise the wreck of an ancient phoenician lighter this 2700 year old vessel known as mazaron ii it was discovered in 1995 and it changed the modern understanding of ancient Mediterranean shipbuilding techniques. The wooden deck was remarkably intact after two and a half millennia, well protected by overgrowth and sediment. That's really interesting. So they're bringing this ancient archaeological artifact, uh, this ancient boat, to the surface. Um, at the end it says, it's more reasonable to rescue the ship, treat it, and exhibit it in a museum for people to enjoy it, rather than worrying about every time a big storm arrives uh so yeah very cool bring in a uh, a ship back from its uh watery grave <laughs> here's an article on charisma news a new ai generated ouija board aims to converse with the dead so we've been talking about this in a lot of our ai segments jeremiah how AI is basically plugging into a computerized Ouija board, right? Yep. It says people around the world are starting to flock to grief tech for answers, much like Saul flocked to the medium of Endor when he wanted answers from the deceased prophet Samuel. 
Um, so there's already programs that can create digital avatars of the person who's dead, including holograms, mm. and will allow a window to have a conversation with her dead husband, but in oh, actuality no. is performed by the AI. Uh, it's a seance AI who chose that particular name on purpose are trying to replicate an actual spiritual seance like Saul did with the medium uh, of Endor. Um, the creator of Seance AI said in an interview with Futurism, he likens his product to an AI-generated Ouija board for closure rather than a means of immortality. Um, so where is the line drawn? This is uh, some crazy science fiction stuff stepping into reality. Uh, you know, we always knew that this is where this technology uh, would eventually arrive. I mean... I think modern AI is pretty much giving uh, spiritual demonic forces a, a medium to communicate with the real world. I mean, it's literally a technological Ouija board. And uh, and what are you communicating with? Is it a hyper-intelligent uh, computer that's telling you this or that? Or is it, you know, is there a possibility for a spiritual influence? This is all, you know, how can we know? But the thing is, is that uh, we're definitely going to see the development of AI technology for things like this. Not only is it being used for an AI-generated Ouija board, but it's also going to be used for the generation of religions, right? As we talked about in our previous uh, discussions. Yep. Uh, so let's go ahead and watch this last video. And it's a topic of how the last two years and the protocols and the mandates and the medical tyranny has all been set up for uh, prepare, preparing for a zombie apocalypse scenario. Check out this next video. Well, how much of the pandemic was planned and are there clues that show us this? Well, redacted correspondent Dan Cohen found one kind of accidentally uh, and he's here to tell us all about it. So first of all, Dan, how did you find this? and take us through it because it's quite shocking. Yeah, Natalie, I was doing research for a piece I'm working on about the lab origin theory, which I think fundamentally is some kind of psyop, but I came across this video that we're going to watch, which really adds another piece of evidence to the body of evidence, I would say, that shows that the COVID-19 response was planned out ahead of time and uh, we basically lived a, a premeditated plan. So everyone, of course, remembers Event 201. That's well known, the simulation of a pandemic held by Johns Hopkins University, the World Economic Forum, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That showed how a response to a supposed pandemic was gamed out. And then months later came to fruition. Well, so I've covered, uncovered this video from the Council on Foreign Relations from June of 2019. Remember the, the, um, the John Hopkins University, the Event 201 piece was from October 2019. So this one actually predates it, uh, what, four months. So this is from the Council on Foreign Relations from June 2019. Before we start, understand that the Council on for Foreign Relations, or CFR, is the single most prestigious and influential Washington think tank. So the fact that this video was published by the CFR speaks volumes and its, its corporate members, 
who it represents are all the usual suspects, the mega corporate entities that are basically more powerful than many countries. So it's a representation of this supranational elite, BlackRock, Bank of America, Apple, Google, Meta, Facebook, Goldman Sachs. I mean, it's huge. Uh, Pfizer is on the list. It has a, a massive donor list of billionaire venture, venture capitalists, including, of course, the Gates Foundation, among many, many others. So let's go ahead and uh, watch this video from, again, June 2019, before the so-called COVID-19 pandemic began. It's called, first it's titled, What a Zombie Apocalypse Can Teach Us About Pandemics. And the description reads, what would happen if one day the dead rose up hungry for human flesh and brain? This scenario has played out in movies and books for decades, but science fiction fans aren't the only ones giving some thought to the zombie apocalypse. The CDC, major universities, and even the Department of De Defense have plans for the day the dead rise. Not because they expect it, but because it serves as a useful intellectual exercise for infectious disease and foreign policy, Although international protocols exist to prevent the rapid spread of disease, each country's individual policies, infrastructure, and interests ultimately decide the course of any outbreak, including zombies. So the CFR, CDC, Pentagon, and whichever universities they're referring to, were not planning for a viral pandemic per se. They were planning a real military response for a fictional threat of a zombie apocalypse or uh, in order to make people think that uh, a virus would be equal to a zombie apocalypse. So let's let's get started with the video. Okay. Zombies, the flesh-eating, brain-hungry monsters that ravenously attack the world until everyone is infected. Could such a frightening science fiction disaster actually happen? As far-fetched as it seems, According to what we know from lore and canon, zombieism would work the same way as infectious diseases like SARS, Ebola, and the flu. Once a person gets infected, they pass it from person to person via close contact. So they're comparing SARS, Ebola, and the flu with zombieism. First of all, those are all very different viruses. The flu is a seasonal respiratory virus that everyone has had many times and the treatment as I don't know any parent knows or any just anybody in general is rest and fluids you get the flu you stay home until you're better right and Ebola right Ebola is not contracted contracted the same way you don't it's not it's not uh, con uh it's not the aerosol droplets hanging in the air like the flu or, or a respiratory virus it's transmitted through blood and b bodily fluids so the fictional threat of zombieism, of course, is completely different than any of those. But there we have the CFR video equating all of them. Well, what they're doing is giving us the idea that our bodies are weapons and that we cannot be sure of what we're passing or contracting. That's what they're weaving through this thing that, yes, we shouldn't, we should not equate. That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's keep, let's keep going. Okay. As with any newly emerging pathogen, the search for a cure would be complicated, since its origins would likely be a mystery. So of course they'll need a pharmaceutical product supposedly to combat this disease, which is, un which is of unknown origin. 
to this day, right? Starting to sound familiar. Does this sound familiar to what's been going on yes. and what has gripped the media for, I don't know, the last three years to this very day? Yes, absolutely. It's uh, like we we're reading a script that we lived. Exactly. Okay, let's keep going. Scientists believe the risk of such a devastating scenario is growing larger. People are building homes in new areas, living and working near unknown insects and animals, which can carry new unknown diseases, increasing the chances of a deadly outbreak that could possibly spread around the world. So this idea that urbanization, basically cities expanding into natural areas where these wild viruses that we've never encountered uh, are lurking and then causing pandemics. I remember this being promoted early on as an explanation that urbanization causes pandemics and if as, as if urbanization is this brand new phenomenon in you know the last what 20 years or something. Right. Um, here's here's Bill Gates Gavi promoting that same narrative and if you search urbanization and pandemics there are dozens of articles on this. So I don't know, it strikes me as a little bit odd that that narrative was in this video and then was promoted early on at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. Such a disease wouldn't adhere to borders or politics. Okay, so such a disease, such a virus would not adhere to borders or politics, except that's not what happened. The Canadian scientist, Denis Rancourt, has shown through studying excess mortality that whatever was killing people did in fact respect borders. In other words, it wasn't a virus that was particularly deadly. It was the government response. Those yeah. deaths were a result a result of policy. You can see that um, in in maps he's shown uh, of Europe, where in Spain, um, in, in in certain areas of Spain, uh, there were there were huge amounts um, of deaths. Meanwhile, in Portugal and in France and in Germany, there were not until later. So it's not the behavior of uh, a viral pandemic. And similarly, there wasn't excess death in Canada, but there was excess death in, in a given period of time early on all, uh, in areas in the United States. And then you can see that by jurisdiction inside the United States too, state by state, depending on which areas locked down. So that is not the behavior of a viral pandemic or a zombie, uh, a zombie apocalypse. Right, clearly. It would require international coordination and decisive action. All countries are legally bound to survey and monitor for disease within their borders. But many poorer countries simply don't have the infrastructure. And depending on where a zombie case was identified, the reaction could be very slow, allowing ample time for the disease to spread. A country might even attempt to hide the existence of an outbreak for political or diplomatic reasons perhaps to avoid disruptions in trade and travel, and try to contain it quietly. But with insufficient attention to the issue, and with something as infectious as zombieism, a spread might be inevitable, and precious time for preparation while the outbreak was still nascent would be lost. Is that not like the exact narrative we were told and continue to be told about China, that they covered up the virus and let it spread all over the world? Um, and even they even have like the picture of some like dictator, you know, I don't know if it's supposed to be Hitler or if it's or it's or if it's Xi or what, but I mean, 
Keep in mind, the CFR represents not only big pharma interests and the military-industrial complex, but just the U.S. power structure overall that sees China as this ex existential threat. And what better way to defeat it or smear it than to create the idea that it's responsible for this zombie apocalypse deadly pandemic? Yeah, it's too... It, it's a it's a bullseye for exactly what these power centers want. Governments with plans for such an event and first responders at the ready would fare best. But without professionals treating and instructing people how to interact with infected individuals or how to protect themselves, the disease could spread fast. Amid an outbreak, the WHO would deploy medical staff and attempt to coordinate response efforts. But the WHO doesn't have the funding, staff, or resources to take the lead in halting a pandemic. Doesn't have the resources, you say. Okay, where might one go and get those and grant themselves emergency powers to do so? Exactly. The, the, the World Health Organization to the rescue with, <laughs> the US, with U.S. And, and European government money and the Gates Foundation, Bill Gates, is going to be the hero to stop the zombie apocalypse. I mean, isn't that basically just what happened? Thank goodness for those power centers. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill Gates. Individual governments would have to mount their own initiatives. Those countries would likely prioritize border security in their plan, regardless of WHO recommendations or law. They might lock down their borders and enforce travel bans to and from the center of the outbreak and they might quarantine or isolate both actual and suspected zombies. So there it is. They even put a wall cutting off China. They have like a giant wall to quarantine China. Somehow they knew that China would be supposedly at fault for this pandemic back in June of 2019, several months before any of this happened. And they knew that they would lock down and quarantine Europe the CFR has like clairvoyant powers. It's it's uncanny. Right. Yeah, I mean, you could have just written this in the year 2023 in arrears, but to have this before the pandemic, it's it's mind boggling. NGOs and aid groups would also spring into action, raising funds and sending medical staff to treat people. With numerous actors on the ground, it might be unclear who's in charge. Does that not look like a reference to the loss of sovereignty to the or the voluntary handover of sovereignty by so many governments to supranational organizations like the WHO? Is that what they're referring to? That they're saying like, we're even going to basically supersede your government? We're going to be above them basically dictating what they have to do? Are they not saying it? Am I interpreting that wrong? No, they said it out loud. This was a plan. Meanwhile, scientists and researchers would try to develop a vaccine or medication to halt the spread of zombies. But this could take months while zombies continue to bite, infect, and spread. Okay, that is exactly what we were told was happening with COVID. They said they had to fast track the vaccine. They were going to use emergency use authorization and it would be a miracle and it would be the silver bullet that would end the lockdowns and the quarantine quarantines and the mass death and then we'd move on to the new normal so somehow the cfr predicted it 
And here we are in that new normal. And how did and how did those injections, how did those vaccines, how did those medical products, pharmaceutical products actually work? Did they do what they were supposed to? No. Um, so there's that too. They somehow they didn't predict that. That that part was left out of the script that it's we were supposed not to have full to faith in them. Right. Exactly. Right. Ultimately, researchers think that if a zombie plague actually occurred, few would survive. More people in richer countries might make it out alive, but poorer countries would be decimated. Right, because zombies, just like pandemics, only affect poor countries, right? Only the poor are susceptible to zombies that want to eat your brain. Uh, so... Another hint that something entirely different actually happened than what they're blaming this on. Yeah, that's crazy. So what can be done now to protect the world from this zombie future or from another disease that behaves like zombieism? All countries need to develop the basic health infrastructure to identify pandemics when they start. More funding and improved international coordination are needed for stronger investigations into how diseases spread. With increased financial support for research, scientists can prepare vaccines in advance for known diseases with potential to kill. And when a disease strikes, they can create better lab tests to detect who is infected and who is not. Better lab tests to, to detect who is infected. Is that like the PCR test that tested for all kinds of coronaviruses and jacked up the threshold count so a papaya or a goat would test positive? I don't know if you remember that, Natalie, the, the president of Tanzania, Tanzania, John, I'm, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but John Magufuli, back in May 2020, he did that incredible speech and he showed basically how phony PCR tests really are. He, he tested a papaya and a goat. He swabbed them and they came back positive for COVID. And then he suspiciously died not long after. So um, I don't but, remember know, that. It's an incredible video that, that really everybody should see. There were th I mean, there's all kinds of suspicion about actually three African leaders who basically rejected the whole COVID protocol that was rolled out and uh, they rejected and this and then died soon after. So who, well, I don't know what happened, obviously. There's no now, proof of that. Now they're selling, uh, at least here in Europe, they're selling um, dual tests that can test for COVID and the flu that are just used with regular checkups. Now it's just like, oh, okay, let's test for both things. Um, so, you know, that also seems like a, a convenient new uh, way to treat any kind of respiratory um, illnesses. Right. And like, let alone whether you have symptoms or not. That's one of the other big yeah. problems with the PCR tests. Like you would never have, they there are all kinds of pathogens in your, in your, you know, nasal pharyngeal passage in your nose, in your sinus, in your throat that they could find at any time. Sure. But just because there's some tiny trace amount of something that is non-culturable doesn't mean that you're infected with it. It just means you just aren't normal. So that was part of this whole paradigm that was rolled out, that any positive tests of any trace amount of something means you're positive and therefore you have to quarantine, which is a total farce. So that's yeah. the same thing that they're continuing that you're describing. Right. Yeah. 
Disparities in global health must also be addressed. Poorer countries need stronger health systems and better preparation. Richer countries like the U.S. also have lots of room for improvement. No city in the U.S. currently has the capacity to treat more than a small number of patients infected with dangerous emerging diseases. An outbreak that infects just 50 people would likely overwhelm any American city. We won't be able to stop every new disease, but there are things the world can do to make sure it's far more resilient and ready for the zombie apocalypse or any other pandemic like it. So I don't know. I mean, that video to me shows that basically every single aspect of the COVID era and the government response was planned out uh, really to an incredible degree that I didn't realize before and should make, I think, everyone suspicious, even more suspicious of the popular narratives, um, you know, maybe that were censored before even or, you know, narratives coming at us from all angles for, uh, you know, different political currents and different political persuasions that I think we're really being subjected to an incredible psychological operation. And in the description, they pointed out that the Pentagon is involved, the Department of Defense is involved, so which the Department of Defense has been involved in the COVID response in every way since the very beginning. So, you know, from lockdowns, quarantines, um, to the development of the treatments, uh, every aspect of it is very much propagandistic. And I think this video really shows that we are living, as you described it, Natalie, as a, a scripted narrative that was preconceived. And there's another big piece of evidence. It makes it really hard for even those of us who are like, well, that seems far-fetched. I don't know about that. It's a little out there. Uh, maybe we just didn't understand and we all were doing our best and acting out of an abundance of caution. But when you see things like this, you think, no, this is too close to what we were prepped for. Um, you know, and it breaks apart that like, well, we just didn't know narrative. It breaks apart this benefit of the doubt. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, that's some crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, I agree totally. I, you know, I think for a lot of um, average everyday people, you and me, we didn't know. And I really, you know, I was, I was, you know, even wiping down my my groceries from that I got from Trader Joe's from the grocery store at first, and I was masking and all this stuff. And it took me a long time to kind of, uh, you know, get a hold of well to realize that I had been propagandized and scared. I mean, it, it's about creating fear. That's why they use, I think, the term zombie apocalypse. Right. Um, but it's just it's just too over the top where it becomes absurd. So but I mean, so, well, I think average people were doing their best and going along with it and didn't know better. And there is such an incredible uh, amount of, of fear porn being pumped out in every which way, every media outlet um, to basically make us. To live in fear of our neighbors to think our neighbors and our family members were existential threats yeah. to each other uh and just have us in our homes consuming this you know terror media um the powers you know the cfr the powers that be the world health organizations organization the cdc etc cetera, etc cetera, 
they knew. And I think that's what this shows. And I think that's what event 201 shows. So really our, our, I think our ire should be directed towards them. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that with us today. I am um, sufficiently freaked out and also about zombies. Thanks, Natalie. Thank you so much for watching this segment here at Redacted. We are live every day at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Wow. All righty. So very interesting. Um, I don't know what you thought about the possible zombie apocalypse that they think uh, they can pre-program their kind of documentation to prepare the world for their control. Uh, but a crazy story, huh? Yeah, it's crazy. It's like we're living in the sci-fi, right? Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. All and, today's... Uh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> What's that? You go for it. Yeah, the, I mean, I think uh, zombie apocalypse is not outside of the realm of possibility. I mean, my my buddy Adam actually did a study one, and there's uh, an interesting uh, text in, in Second Baruch that talks about the possibility of... A, uh, a biblical version of the zombie apocalypse. And so maybe they're pre-programming and conditioning us for something that's actually bound to happen, or maybe we just, uh, you know, they're just using it to kind of uh, pad the language. But uh, it's crazy to think that uh, they, they've... they uh, there's, there's been even FEMA and military organized... So organized exercises from FEMA and military that even use the zombie language. So they definitely like using zombie talk because I, I guess it's cool or because of the movies or whatever. Yeah, it's super fascinating. Another aspect of the zombie topic is people have been preconditioned by our media to feel like it's totally okay to blast a zombie to oblivion, right? And so whenever you think about them identifying virus-infected uh, virus individuals as zombies, it's a little alarming that they're dehumanizing and associating infected individuals as zombies because all of our movies are all like, oh, yeah, you know, it's not wrong to blast a zombie into oblivion. Headshot, you know? Uh, but if... Exactly. Headshot. I mean, if in the future they start treating people that are infected with viruses as zombies and, oh, they're so deadly if they get you infected, you got to just kill them all right, then you can see how there could be a very draconian military state uh, presence in, in a, a scenario where people are labeled as walking dead, right? And, yep. uh, and then all of a sudden you have people dehumanized and people being slaughtered on uh, on a mass scale. And, and that's where I could see a lot of this heading. Wow. Well, thank you, Jake, for another great current news. I mean, it's awesome. Is that all you got? Just trying to make that's sure. all for this week. Sweet, man. It was awesome. And it's going to do really well with my history, too. So thank you for that. Now, quick uh, promo for my mom's book, Protocol That Kills. Did you know that a government-incentivized hospital protocol has led to the deaths of untold numbers of unsuspecting people? The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons noted, We now see government-dictated medical care at its worst in our history, since the federal government mandated these ineffective and dangerous treatments. 
and then created financial incentives for hospitals and doctors to use only those approved and paid for approaches. The book, The Protocol That Kills, exposes the lethal regimen adopted by hospitals to maximize profits at the expense of patients' lives. This exhaustive expose provides a first-hand account of the protocol in action as it was invoked on an otherwise strong and healthy 52-year-old Rob Skiba, who was diagnosed with a viral infection by the admitting hospital. Within 40 days, this valiant Army veteran who had sworn to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, had fallen at the hands of a government-incentivized domestic enemy. This over 400-page true crime story uncovers every aspect of this lethal protocol in action, despite the protest of Rob Skiba and his wife. It includes disheartening text messages from Rob, who was locked away from his wife because she was forbidden to enter the hospital in the name of the protocol. Lawfully recorded detailed conversations his wife had with doctors, therapists, nurses, and hospital staff. Numerous pages extracted from the over 5,000 page hospital record that exposed the protocol that led to his tragic death. The testimony of a medical expert who provided his detailed analysis of the case. Invaluable and timely insights of a legal counsel who provides the story behind the story by providing crucial details and evidence along with over 100 citations from clinical studies, medical journals, federal regulations, and relevant books and articles that prove Rob did not die of natural causes, but due to the perpetrator's insistence that he follow the mandated and inhumane protocol that kills. As Richard Bartlett, MD says, this book shares a wealth of critical insights that will greatly aid in preventing future needless losses of life. The purpose of this book is to sound an alarm of a clear and present danger as this lethal protocol is still being used against patients in hospitals all across America and to provide you with essential insights that could help save your life or the life of someone you love. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Get a copy today at theprotocolthatkills.com. Now, I highly recommend my mom's book. If you want to find out what truly happened to my dad, get the protocol that kills, and the links will be down in the description. It's about that time for an all-new Opa's Corner. Take it away, Opa. Whoa. The following presentation may contain too many cat jokes. Viewer discretion is advised. This presentation is rated CJ, Cat Jokes. Parental guidance suggested. Well, it's time for Opa's Corner. A bear, a moose, a fox, a wolf, and a small snail were playing cards around a table. 
Suddenly, the bear let out a roar and said, "Guys, I'm hungry. Could someone go buy some chocolate or whatever?" The moose shook his head and nodded toward the fox, who slammed his paw on the table and muttered, "Why me? Why can't the wolf do it?" But the snail bravely interrupted the conversation before it got out of hand. Guys, guys, there's no reason to fight. I'll go. The bear smiled a little and handed the snail a few rolled-up dollars from his pockets. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. While you're at it, buy something to drink, will ya? The snail winked. Grabbed the money and briskly made his way out the door. Half an hour went by. An hour. An hour and a half. Almost two hours. At last, the bear snapped, dropped his cards to the floor, and yelled, "Hey, you know what? I think the little bugger took the money and just left." The small but. Fierce scream then came from near the door. If you're gonna start insulting me, I'm not leaving at all. <laughs> Once there was a cruel king who enjoyed executing whoever he pleased. A minister once gave him bad advice, so the king decided to have him killed. He ordered that the minister be thrown to the ravenous and vicious guard dogs. The minister said, "I have served you loyally for ten years, and you do this." The king was without mercy. The minister fell on his knees and pleaded, "Please, give me ten days before you throw me to the dogs." The king thought about it and finally agreed. In those ten days, the minister went to the keeper of the dogs and told him he wanted to feed the dogs for the next ten days. The guard was baffled, but he agreed. So the minister started feeding the dogs, caring for them, washing them, providing all sorts of comfort. When the ten days were up, the king ordered that the minister be thrown to the dogs as sentenced. When he was thrown in, everyone was amazed at what they saw. The ferocious dogs were wagging their tails, playing with the condemned minister, and even licking his feet. The king was baffled at what he saw. What happened to my vicious dogs? He growled. The minister then said, "I served the dogs for only ten days, and they didn't forget my service." I served you for ten years, and you forgot all of it with my first mistake. The king then realized his own great mistake. The next day, he replaced the dogs with crocodiles. <laughs> a circus manager is busy in his office when a scrawny little guy walks in the door. He walks over to the manager and he says, "Are you the boss here?" "Yeah. What do you want?" "I'd like to join the circus. I got an act." "Yeah. Well, let's see what it is." So, the little guy goes over to the center pole 
and he starts climbing up the pole. He climbs up and up and up. He goes all the way to the very peak of the big top. Then he looks down, takes a deep breath, and leaps off the pole. He starts flapping his arms and he's flying. He flies all around the big top. He goes around the center pole. He goes loop-de-loop through the trapezes. Then he goes all the way up and takes a nosedive right down to the ground, flapping his arms like mad. He lands right next to the boss and says, Well, what do you think? That's all you do? Bird imitations? <laughs> That's funny. God is handing out characteristics to all of the animals. He's getting close to the end of his list. Most of the animals have picked one, except the lions, the beavers, the birds, and the pigs. God looks up from his list and says, Who wants courage? One of the pigs says to the other, Ooh, we should get that. The other one says, Nah, who wants to be courageous? You have to strut around. Humans will start hunting you. It's a huge pain. Let's wait. The lions speak up and take courage. Next up, industrious. Who wants to be known for being industrious? The pig says, Hey, we could definitely be that. Make stuff, stay busy, sounds good. The other pig says, Are you crazy? Get up at dawn, work all day? Who wants that? I'm sure God saved the best for last. The beavers piped up and take industrious. So God goes back to his list. Next up, we have wings. Who wants to fly? The first pig says, Wow, we got to get that one. We could fly all day. The second pig says, Exactly, fly around all day. Beat your wings all the time. That sounds exhausting. You'll have to fly for hours, beating your wings like mad to stay aloft. <laughs> no, thank you. Let's wait for the really good stuff. God looks at his list, and it's getting to the end. Let's see. Uh, claws are taking. Flight went to the birds. Cheetah got speed. Okay, okay, here we go. Who wants to be delicious? <laughs> The year 2032 and the United States has elected the first woman as the first Jewish president, Sarah Goldstein. She calls up her mother a few weeks after election day and says, Mom, I assume you'll be coming to my inauguration. I don't think so. It's a 10-hour drive. Your father isn't as young as he used to be. And my arthritis is acting up again. <laughs> oh, don't worry about it, Mom. I'll send Air Force One to pick you up and take you home. And a limousine will pick you up at the door. I don't know. Everyone will be so fancy-smancy. What on earth would I wear? 
I'll make sure you have a wonderful gown custom made by the best designer in New York. Honey, you know I can't eat those rich foods you and your friends like to eat. Mom, don't worry. The entire affair is going to be handled by the best caterer in New York. Kosher all the way, Mom. I really want you to come. So, Mom reluctantly agrees, and on January 20th, Sarah Goldstein is being sworn in as President of the United States. In the front row sits the new president's mother, who leans over to a senator sitting next to her and says, You see that woman over there with her hand on the Torah, becoming the President of the United States? The senator whispers back, Yes, I, I do. Her mom flushes with pride and says, Her, her brother's a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> a four-year-old boy and his father were having a discussion. Dad, I decided to get married. Wonderful. You have a girl in mind? Yes, Grandma. She said she loves me, and I love her too. And she's the best cook and storyteller in the whole world. That's nice, but we have a small problem. What problem? She happens to be my mother. How can you marry my mother? Why not? You married mine. <laughs> and now for the funnies. My son is an honor student. My son made this license plate. <laughs> okay, everybody, the fireworks are about to start. Let's all cower in the kitchen and hold each other. <laughs> Stop it! Get off! I hate it when she limits my screen time. <laughs> Buddy gets his nose checked. Uh, Dachshund, Beagle, Poodle, and uh, either Yorkie or Boston Terrier. <laughs> What scent is that? I love it! It's our new plug-ins. That one's Chihuahua. <laughs> Your Honor, the defense would like to call a surprise witness. Just as long as you fit, then you might as well sit. It's a box world after all. It's a box world. <laughs> That's a good idea.
I'm the doctor who brings the cards. I'm a cardiologist. <laughs> Get well. <laughs> Scene from the show Strange Fur Things. Oh no! Carl is stuck in the upside down! <laughs> Okay, Pete, start the pressure. Nice and easy. <laughs> She's losing a lot of soda. Do something, Dr. Pepper. <laughs> now I have to tell them I only have a PhD in delicious. <laughs> Raise the old girl from Cub, I did. Of course, we had to get a few things straight between us. She don't try to follow me into town anymore, and I don't try to take her food bowl away until she's done. <laughs> it was a good sleepover. They got up at 3 a.m. and ran around like maniacs. Ah, glad it went well. <laughs> uh, what's up, Spock? <laughs> Good heavens, John! Call someone! The entire basement looks dry! <laughs> the Duck Mafia. We own this pond. The breadcrumbs is our racket. Don't be sticking your beak in our business. Capiche? Oh, give me a home where the buffalo roam. <laughs> Cat Book Club. The Fog of Catnip. It was fun to lie on. I enjoyed rubbing my face across the spine. Oh, I did that too. I could not fall asleep on this thing. <laughs> However, there was no question that on the south side of the river, the land was ruled by the awesome Tyrannosaurus Max. <laughs> Oh, slightly. Hey, Charlie. You know how we're alike? We're always in sync with each other. <laughs> I can't believe we're related. <laughs> hey, Mr. Fixit. There's a problem with your fancy new door locker. 
<laughs> Although never achieving the fame of Tarzan, his African counterpart, Larry of the Lemures, was a common sight to natives of Madagascar. <laughs> Press any key to continue. <laughs> Dwayne the Dachshund. After months of training, I did it! I jumped up on the bed. Woo! <laughs> High four. Click. <laughs> Google would like permission to use your location. <laughs> <laughs> For the last time, is this going to be an astronomical observatory, a sacrificial altar, or an interstellar beacon? And do we want the alien contractor or not? <laughs> I've got other jobs waiting. <laughs> No, you're wrong. It doesn't even go in one ear. <laughs> uh, uh, hello, hello. Uh, oh, no. I, I think I've been using too many cat jokes. <laughs> and for the rest of his life, the young reptile suffered deep emotional scars. <laughs> My teacher told me not to worry about spelling because in the future there will be autocorrect and for that I'm eternally grapefruit. <laughs> that concludes Opa's Corner for this week. Mein Hut, der hat drei Ecken, drei Ecken hat mein Hut, und hat er nicht drei Ecken, dann ist es nicht mein Hut. Opa's Corner is now available on my own YouTube channel. Like, share, and subscribe. <laughs> All right, Opa, thank you for another great Opus Corner. Now a word from our good friend, JJ. Are you tired of living in constant pain? Do you feel like you've tried every CBD product on the market with no relief? Look no further than JJ's Natural CBD Rub. When I was diagnosed with degenerative disc disease, this was the only product that completely took my pain away. Working with JJ has been a dream come true, and his products have completely changed my life. Don't just take my word for it. Visit JJ's website, jjcbdrub.com, 
and read hundreds of testimonials from people whose lives have been changed by all of JJ's amazing products. And now, as a Skiba News Nation exclusive, you can get $50 off a three-pack special of JJ's Natural CBD Rub by texting CBD to 920-382-7720. Don't suffer in silence any longer. Take control of your pain today with JJ's Natural CBD Rub. Again, text CBD to 920-382-7720 for an exclusive discount and start feeling the relief you deserve. The links are in the description below. Now, Opa hurt his back, and I put some JJ CBD rub on his back. Did that help you? Oh, yeah, it did. So there, there you have it. Opa, Opa approves. So, all right, well, it's time for some mystery. So... Today we're going to be doing a real deep dive on one of the most evil men of all time, Jeffrey Epstein. But before we do that, I mean, there are a lot of new revelations, but before we do that, I want to show you a clip of Mel Gibson from 1998 exposing Hollywood and how sick it was. And it's it was crazy because during the current news that Jake did, he was showing that that clip. Check this out. You know, I had a whole bunch of weird paranoid suspicions about what the hell was going on because there was a lot of stuff I couldn't understand. Right. Um, and nobody was really bothering to explain it to me. They don't. <clears throat> and, it, it, and I formed a bunch of opinions about the town and about the people in it that were like, surely that couldn't be because the whole place can't be like, you know, weird town, you know, where the stranger wanders in and, and all the people are in the bar and they all shut up when he looks at him and, mm -hmm. and they tell you don't go out of the house on the hill. And it's like that. Mm -hmm. And then you go away and you think, no, that's, I was wrong. I mean, that's insane thinking. I'm paranoid. I imagined that stuff. That couldn't be the reason for why so-and-so was acting like, could it? Mm. And then you find out later on the track that you are exactly on track mm. with a lot of this stuff. Not specifically on no. track, but that you could, uh, that some of your worst nightmares were real at the time. And you think, oh. mm. no, he came to see me on a rooftop in New York. I said, hey, can I, can I talk to you? And he said, sure. And he, he floated in mm. sideways. Mm through a crowd of people. He was wearing black and it was like one of those old vampire movies where they don't walk but they glide. Mm. And he was a dancer, you know, so he has yeah, very, yeah. he's very, um, um, you know, graceful. Yeah. And he moved sideways and he just sat down in a chair next to me and it kind of frightened me. Mm. Um, and he's a very smart guy. Mm. And we started talking and I didn't, you know, say much of anything about reading the script, nothing. I just started talking about the Middle Ages. And, mm. And he, um, and he began to talk tortures. And we swapped tortures, because I'd read this book on torture. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I tried to recall some of the most heinous things I'd ever read in this book. And, and he was like, oh, oh, and he'd try and top it. And, it, it got, and my assistant was there, and he left, because he, he couldn't stand it anymore. Yeah. The, the air had turned cold. Mm -hmm. And then he left, and I, I wanted to leave. And because I knew that I didn't want to work with him. Yeah. And he was getting 
scary. Yeah. There's a producer I know, successful producer. I, I will not mention names, but Harvey Weinstein. His whole um, um, opinion about women on film, from beginning to end, is very brief. He says, "Women on film, either naked or dead. Both is better." Mm. And it's like, whoa, mm -hmm. whoa. The man is, has got a spiritual malady for a start. Mm -hmm. I mean, the scary thing is that I think a lot of people think that. Mm. What are your thoughts about that, Jake? Yeah, I think right off the bat, he's already talking about the things that have come to light nowadays. And I don't know how old that interview was, but 1998. Uh, it sounds like Hollywood is, you know, got their way of doing things, and he just got a glimpse of it just by rubbing shoulders with them, you know. You know what's interesting is is Mel Gibson was what do they do to people that that are truth tellers? They 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 uh, what word am I looking for? They they demonize them and then they try to put all this information, even if it's out of context, to make them look like bad people. What do they do to Mel Gibson right after he did that interview? They try to make him look like a yeah. terrible person. And they demonized him. Yep, they demonized him, and I, I mean, I, I actually, my dad had a really cool story about Mel Gibson. I don't know if I've ever told you this. Have I ever told you the Mel Gibson story? No, I don't. I didn't know that. Uh, what happened? He, he met him, and uh, he was invited to go to Mel Gibson's church, and he didn't know if he would see him or not, you know, because The Passion of the Christ, you know, he, he loved that movie, and so he just wanted to thank him. He just wanted to say, hey, how are you? I love the movie. And he didn't see him, and then he had to go to the bathroom. And so, as my dad was in the bathroom, guess who bumps into him? Mel Gibson. And so oh, really? he, he was able to thank him inside of the bathroom as he was washing his hands. And after he, uh, my dad thanked him for, for making the movie, he said, you're welcome. And then he threw a paper towel, went right, he, he synced it right in the trash can, and he said, cheers, and he walked out. I was like, that's one of the coolest stories I've ever heard. You know, it just happened to be. You know? Wow. But, yeah, I wanted to play that first clip because, I mean, this stuff has been exposed for a long time, as, as you talked about in the current news. Like, it's, 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 an, it's always been an open secret in, in Hollywood and in other, like, every, every elite person has some kind of dirt on them. Most of them, I should say. Yeah. So that's why we're going to be talking about Jeffrey Epstein. Now, there are some new revelations that came out, but before we do that, I want to play what we know up to date about Jeffrey Epstein. So let's play this clip. The Daily Mail released a cache of documents today exposing the extent of Jeffrey Epstein's close connections with celebrities and deletes. From the very outset, there had been plenty of mystery shrouding Jeffrey Epstein, a boy from Brooklyn who'd inexplicably exploded onto the international stage among the rich, famous, and powerful. The origin and extent of his wealth were unknown. His network of connections was vast, diverse, and questionable, often in the company of women of questionable age and purpose. His arrest in July 2019 on sex trafficking charges sparked a flurry of speculation that long-awaited answers, along with sinister connections and misdeeds. But Epstein was dead by the following month, discovered hanged in his prison cell at the now-shuttered Metropolitan Correctional Center in New York City. Although the death was ruled a suicide, its abrupt and inglorious nature further fueled suspicion about almost anything and anyone 
connected with Epstein. A recent release of a substantial collection of documents, which includes Epstein's personal calendar, emails, the final moments of his imprisonment, and the ensuing aftermath, provides a detailed glimpse into the late sex offender's remarkable network of influence and power. The documents unveil involvement of various presidents, prime ministers, royalty, and celebrities who were not previously associated with Epstein. For decades, important, influential, serious people attended Epstein's dinner parties, rode his private jet, and furthered the fiction that he was some kind of genius hedge fund billionaire. These files illustrate how Epstein kept up associations with the global elite, despite his status as a registered sex offender who served 13 months in prison for engaging sexually with underage girls. They also reveal that he maintained sexual relations with up to seven underage teens daily, even after his conviction. Furthermore, the files lay bare the perverse financier's unusual obsession with teeth. The files, surrendered by Epstein's estate, were handed over to the U.S. Virgin Islands government, where Epstein owned two private islands as part of their investigation into his sex trafficking network. Much like Epstein's infamous Black Book of Contacts, the schedules within these files contain personal numbers and email addresses. Moreover, a significant new batch of documents from the Bureau of Prisons provides further details about the notorious sex offender's final days and the repercussions following his death in prison. Prince Andrew, the son of Queen Elizabeth, has acknowledged a friendship with Epstein that lasted over a decade. He often traveled on Epstein's private jet. One of Epstein's victims, Virginia Jeffrey, previously known as Virginia Roberts, claimed she was coerced into having sex with the Duke when she was 17. Roberts first encountered Ghislaine Maxwell, a British socialite and daughter of the late media magnate Robert Maxwell, while working as a spa attendant in the mid-2000s. Reading a book about massage therapy, she was approached by Maxwell who noted her reading material, asked about her interest in massage therapy, and proposed a potential job opportunity working for Epstein as a traveling masseuse, stressing that no prior experience was needed. Home for her first assignment, she found Epstein lying naked, and Maxwell instructed her on how to massage him. In March 2001, Roberts was allegedly trafficked to Prince Andrew. In 2019, court documents from a civil lawsuit revealed Robert's claims that Epstein and Maxwell forced her to have sex with several others, including hedge fund manager Glenn Dubin, attorney Alan Dershowitz, politician Bill Richardson, late MIT scientist Marvin Minsky, lawyer George J. Mitchell, and MC2 modeling agent Jean-Luc Brunel. In an unsealed deposition, Roberts also mentioned seeing President Bill Clinton with two young girls on Epstein's island. An email Epstein sent to J.P. Morgan on August 31, 2011, proposed Andrew as a potential investment partner because he is now allowed to make money. Epstein was trying to convince the bank to collaborate with Bill Gates on a $100 million fund for elite donors, and a critical meeting was scheduled on that date. In this email, Epstein suggested that investor apprehension towards the bank, which he referred to as a quasi-U.S. government arm, would be less problematic for a client relationship than an institutional joint venture. Epstein also mentioned the financial situation of Andrew and his ex-wife, Sarah Ferguson, with whom he remained close following their divorce in 1996. Ferguson had been caught in a newspaper sting in May 2010, asking for $550,000 in exchange for access to Andrew. She later expressed deep regret for her comments, insisting her ex-husband had no knowledge of her meeting with the undercover journalist. Ferguson's desperate measures were reportedly due to her $5.5 million debt, which she claimed was paid off in July 2011, thanks to Andrew's intervention. Epstein's email, sent a month after this announcement, indicates Andrew had shared details about his and Ferguson's financial situation with him. Photographs shared on Facebook by Epstein's housekeeper and driver, a married couple named Jojo and Lynn Fontanilla, show Andrew visiting Epstein's New York townhouse on March 5, 2010, 
two days after an email conversation with Epstein's assistant about scheduling a meeting with the Duchess. Despite Epstein's 2008 conviction for procuring a child for 14-year-old girl, for which he served nearly 13 months in jail, Prince Andrew continued his association with him. Emails unearthed in the recent document release suggest that Andrew's claim of severing ties with Epstein in 2010 is false, as Epstein was recommending the prince as a potential investor in 2011. One of Epstein's accusers, Virginia Roberts, yeah. has made allegations against you. She says she met you in 2001. She says she dined with you, danced with you at Tramp Nightclub in London. She went on to have sex with you in a house in Belgravia belonging to Gerlin Maxwell, your friend. Your response? I have no recollection of ever meeting this lady. <laughs> None whatsoever. You don't remember meeting her? No. The problem was the fact that once he had been convicted, I stayed with him. And that's, that's, that's the bit that, 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 that um, as it were, I kick myself for on a daily basis because it was not something that was becoming a member of the royal family. And we try and uphold the highest standards of, and practices and I let the side down. Simple as that. After an interview with the BBC where Andrew stated he did not regret his friendship with Epstein, he faced severe public backlash. In response, he voluntarily stepped back from his royal duties and was stripped of his military affiliations and royal patronages. Epstein's victims have urged the prince to cooperate with the FBI, a request he has consistently declined. Following the death of his mother, Queen Elizabeth, and his brother Charles's ascension to the throne, Andrew was reportedly expelled from Buckingham Palace by the new king. Despite this, Andrew reportedly intends to honor the lease he signed in 2003 and remain in the £30 million mansion. Andrew moved into the suite in the 1980s, where he reportedly had palace staff rearrange his collection of teddy bears daily. So, what? So that's what we kind of knew already, but what is the one thing that, that everybody wants in the Epstein case? The Black Book. I want to find out who he was trafficking to. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm going to be exposing today. And uh, I, I don't know how I came across all this, but it's going to blow your mind because there are names in here that I did not expect to see. And I must say, as a disclaimer, I'm not saying these people did it. I'm just saying that this is what was leaked. So let's go ahead and play that part one of part two. David Blaine, the American magician, endurance artist, and extreme performer, is renowned for his public displays of resilience, having set and broken numerous world records. Despite his previously known association with Epstein being limited to an entry in Epstein's Black Book of Contacts, recently revealed records indicate a deeper friendship between the two. Epstein's notorious Black Book records suggest that Blaine performed privately for Epstein's dinner guests in 2003, enchanting personalities like Sergey Brin, Mort Zuckerman, and Doug Band, a Bill Clinton aide with his captivating card tricks. This gathering, orchestrated by Ghislaine Maxwell, reportedly included a group of young women introduced as Victoria's Secret models. The latest documents reveal that in June 2013, Epstein dined with futurist Pablos Holman and an individual named Jessica Joffe, likely the actress. The schedule noted, David Blaine will stop by toward the end of dinner. When contacted, Holman thought he was in San Francisco at that time, but was uncertain. Acknowledging his acquaintance with Blaine, 
Holman described Epstein as the most toxic thing in the whole world. He added, even if there was a dinner, I probably wouldn't want to say anything about it. Fast forward to September 2013, Blaine attended another dinner at Epstein's residence, rubbing shoulders with Woody Allen and Jeff Koons, along with Koons' wife Justine, as per the records. In January 2014, Epstein organized another gathering that included his Eastern European girlfriend Karina Shuliak, Woody Allen, and Jess Staley, among others. David Blaine's name was on the attendee list. The event was also marked by a probable appearance by Sarah and Brian, presumably referring to Sarah Kellen, one of Epstein's primary recruiters. The schedule mentioned a potential visit from Chris Rock, marking the comedian's first association with Epstein. Epstein did extend an invitation to comedian Chris Tucker in 2002 for a trip to Africa with former President Bill Clinton on board Epstein's private jet. However, a source close to Rock clarified that Rock did not attend the dinner. The source conceded Rock's friendship with Woody Allen, but suggested Epstein might have mixed up Rock with Tucker. Epstein's calendar entry for April 4, 2014, served as a reminder of David Blaine's birthday, and the subsequent day's entry read, TBD with David Blaine. Bill Gates. Epstein and Gates had numerous interactions as Epstein sought to persuade Gates to become the public face of a large-scale investment fund, requiring contributions of at least $100 million from wealthy investors. The Wall Street Journal disclosed that Epstein allegedly blackmailed Gates in 2017 when he discovered Gates's affair with a Russian bridge player, Mila Antonova. It was revealed by DailyMail.com that Antonova was photographed with the infamous Russian spy Anna Chapman in 2010, around the same time she was linked to Gates. Gates and Antonova met approximately in 2010 when she was in her 20s. They played bridge together, an event she fondly recounted in a 2010 YouTube video. Two years ago, I said to everyone that I'm going to meet this guy. Nobody believed me. Um, last year, I played against him at the same table at the National Bridge Tournament in Washington, D.C. I didn't beat him, but I tried to kick him with my leg. <laughs> so now, now I organizing... Antonova and Boris Nikolic, a close Gates advisor, met Epstein in his New York City townhouse in November 2013, where Antonova proposed her fundraising plan for a bridge promotion initiative. However, Epstein did not invest in Antonova's project. In spite of this, Antonova lived in a New York apartment that Epstein arranged for her in the following year, and was supported by him to attend a software coding school. Epstein later demanded Gates reimburse him for the tuition fees he initially paid for Antonova. Epstein's blackmail against Gates was made in 2017 through an email, after he failed to persuade Gates to participate in a multi-billion dollar charity fund he was planning. This fund was seen as a way for Epstein to restore his reputation after his 2008 conviction for solicitation and procurement of a minor for prostitution. Epstein and Gates had numerous meetings to discuss the proposed fund. In April 2011, Gates was scheduled for a dinner with former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers and Jess Staley, then head of J.P. Morgan. Over the next few months, Epstein consistently emailed Mary Erdos, a senior J.P. Morgan banker, and Staley to finalize the fund. Despite Epstein's efforts, the fund never materialized. Nevertheless, he kept pursuing Gates and arranged a dinner for him in October 2013. By September 2014, Gates had several meetings with Epstein in New York. However, Gates' friendship with Epstein is said to have played a significant role in his divorce, as well as allegations of harassment at Microsoft and his acknowledged extramarital affair. Despite these challenges, Epstein continued to court Gates and even planned gifts for him. The last entry regarding Gates in the records is from November 2014, when Epstein's pilot contacted Epstein's scheduler to arrange a meeting with Gates in Washington. In 2021, Gates confessed to having an affair nearly two decades prior, 
but only after the journal published an investigation finding that Microsoft's board members had asked Gates to step down in 2020 amid inquiries into his alleged romantic relationship with a female employee. Woody Allen. Woody Allen, the renowned American filmmaker, comedian, and actor, is known for celebrated films such as Annie Hall, Manhattan, and Sleeper. Allen commenced a 12-year relationship with actress Mia Farrow in 1980, although they never tied the knot. At the start of their relationship, Farrow was already a mother to seven children, three biological sons from her previous marriage to composer Andre Previn, three adopted girls, two Vietnamese and one Korean, Soon Yi Previn, and one adopted Korean boy, Moses. Farrow expanded her family by adopting Dylan Farrow from Texas in July 1985. Allen did not participate in the adoption process but took on a parental role with Dylan once she arrived and subsequently spent more time at Farrow's home. In 1991, Allen embarked on a romantic involvement with Soon Yi Previn, Farrow's adopted daughter. Allen asserts that the relationship started in late December 1991 when Previn was 21, but there are suggestions that it began earlier, during Previn's final year of high school. The relationship between Previn and Allen prompted Farrow to end her romantic involvement with Allen, although they maintained a professional relationship where Farrow would feature in Allen's movies. The extent of Allen's close association with Jeffrey Epstein became clear through their mutual engagements documented in calendars. The records reveal frequent meetings, shared walks, attendance at Allen's rehearsals, dinners, and even movie editing sessions at Epstein's home. There were also reminders for Epstein to accompany Allen to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology an institution where Epstein made a donation of $850,000 and had close ties with several professors. In December 2013, Epstein attended Allen's film screening and birthday party and later traveled to Epstein's New Mexico ranch. By September 2014, their association had become quite active with shared dinners and meetings featuring high-profile individuals. Further controversy arose around Allen's relationships with underage girls when Babby Christina Engelhardt disclosed her seven-year relationship with Allen that started when she was 16. Engelhardt claims she met Allen at Elaine's restaurant in October 1976, boldly leaving her phone number at his table. The director, then 41 and at the height of his fame, invited her to his Fifth Avenue penthouse. He never questioned her age, but she informed him she was still in high school. Within weeks, they became intimately involved, though she would not turn 17, the age of consent in New York, until December that year. Engelhardt speculates that she was the inspiration for Allen's film, Manhattan, which portrays a middle-aged man's relationship with a teenager. Their relationship lasted for seven years before concluding. In August 1992, Allen was accused by his adoptive daughter, Dylan Farrow, then seven years old, of at the home of her adoptive mother, actress Mia Farrow, in Bridgewater, Connecticut. Allen has consistently refuted these allegations. Bill Clinton. Former President Bill Clinton has denied he had a close relationship with Epstein, and after Epstein was newly accused in 2019 of children for more than a decade, a spokesman for the former president tweeted this statement. President Clinton knows nothing about the terrible crimes Jeffrey Epstein pleaded guilty to in Florida some years ago, or those with which he has been recently charged in New York. In 2002 and 2003, President Clinton took a total of four trips on Jeffrey Epstein's airplane, one to Europe, one to Asia, and two to Africa which included stops in connection with the work of the Clinton Foundation. The statement said Clinton had never been to Little St. James Island, Epstein's private island. 
In September 2002, Clinton took Epstein's private jet to Africa, a trip Clinton had organized to discuss economic development there and the fight against HIV and AIDS, the New York Times reported. Shantae Davies, the woman who appears in the photo with Clinton, has said she was also on the flight. She worked for Epstein as a masseuse, and she has accused Epstein of her. The Sun newspaper posted a photo in a Facebook post in January. Clinton was pictured with his arm around Epstein's private masseuse Shantae Davies, the caption says. Davies categorically denied that any improper behavior occurred around Clinton, and that he was a complete gentleman the entire time. Clinton has said he took a total of four trips, but flight records published by Gawker in 2015 suggest he took more than a dozen flights, the news outlet then reported. A year later, Fox News reported that flight logs showed he took at least 26 trips. The New York Times has explored this discrepancy, writing that it's unclear how many individual flights were involved in each of the four trips Clinton has claimed, and whether that could make up the difference. In recently unsealed court documents, a woman who accused Epstein of sex trafficking has also said that she once saw Clinton on Epstein's island with two young girls from New York. She didn't implicate him in any wrongdoing. Nine months after his death, the sickening scenario in which a top former U.S. president Bill Clinton advisor was discovered hanging from a tree with a gunshot wound to his chest has now been revealed. In contradiction to earlier reports, a shotgun was found in proximity to the body of Mark Middleton, a former aide to Bill Clinton with ties to Jeffrey Epstein, who died by suicide last year. Documents secured by the Daily Mail reveal that a Stoger 12-gauge coach shotgun was located 30 feet from Mark Middleton's body on May 7, 2022. His body was discovered on Heifer Ranch, Perryville, Arkansas, a property owned by an NGO allegedly linked to both the Gates Foundation and Clinton Foundation. Previous reports from the same outlet indicated the absence of a weapon at the scene, a claim that has now been rectified. Additional notes, prepared by Sergeant Keenan Carter, described the deliberate steps Middleton, aged 59, took to ensure his suicide attempt would succeed. These included standing on a bench, fastening an electrical cord around his neck, and ultimately shooting himself in the chest. Shortly before his death, Middleton, a businessman in the HVAC sector and former special advisor to President Bill Clinton, texted his wife, Rhea, saying he had found the perfect place for a nap in the sun. A ranch worker, Ian Peters, discovered Middleton's body later that day, having noticed Middleton's SUV parked in one spot for an extended period. The Daily Mail reports that law enforcement found a gun case and three rounds of buckshot in Middleton's car before locating his body. Sergeant Carter's report suggests the shotgun was thrown from Middleton's body due to recoil and the angle it hit the ground. Based on the absence of blood in Middleton's body, the report indicates he likely died within seconds. Coroner Theodore Brown's notes within the report also reveal Middleton's history of depression and officially categorize his death as suicide. Initial assertions by the Daily Mail that Middleton's death was self-inflicted, despite the alleged lack of a weapon at the scene, fueled conspiracy theories around the Clinton body count. Middleton's links to Jeffrey Epstein amplified speculations that he was targeted by the Clintons. Before his political career ended in 1995, Middleton had logged Epstein into the White House seven times out of Epstein's total 17 visits. Reports also suggest Middleton traveled on Epstein's notorious Lolita Express jet. After a 1996 White House investigation, Middleton was prohibited from visiting the executive residence without senior approval due to allegations of leveraging his access to impress business clients, a charge he consistently denied. So what are your thoughts about that so far? That was part one. Yeah, it's just shocking. I mean, it really does seem like, you know, all these people are connected to Epstein and they all deny anything happened. But when that guy's whole business model is based around blackmailing people and, and sex trafficking, you can only help but, you know, 
theorize that they're actually, you know, lying through their teeth pretty much. Now, are there any new names that you were not expecting to be on that list? I mean, all of them are kind of, you know, I mean, David Blaine, I had that, never heard that, that one before. Blew my that mind. was really interesting to hear. Well, let's see what you think after this, this part two clip. So let's play that clip. Less than a year ago, the multi-company CEO Elon Musk, known for his roles at Tesla, Twitter, and SpaceX, posted a tweet featuring an assortment of emojis including a dinosaur, unicorn, and dragon, alongside a veiled reference to the Epstein-Maxwell client list. He captioned it, things I'll never see in my life, adding a personal comment. The most intriguing aspect is not the DOJ failing to leak the list, but the media's indifference. Isn't that strange? Musk was alluding to the ongoing conjecture that the U.S. Department of Justice or other government authorities might possess a list of clients involved in the <laughs> operations of the deceased financier and predator, Jeffrey Epstein, and his ex-associate, British socialite and convicted sex offender, Ghislaine Maxwell. A past photo has made the rounds on social media showing Musk in formal attire alongside Maxwell at a Vanity Fair Oscars after-party in 2014. Upon Maxwell's arrest in 2020 for sex trafficking minors and the reappearance of the photo, Musk expressed his displeasure. He stated via a tweet, I have no knowledge of Ghislaine, and clarified, she caught me unaware at a Vanity Fair party several years ago. In recent developments, the US Virgin Islands, which filed a lawsuit against JP Morgan Chase, alleging Epstein's principal business via his accounts at the bank was human trafficking, has subpoenaed several high-profile executives for any communication or documents pertaining to JP Morgan and Epstein. These executives include Google co-founders Larry Page and Sergey Brin, Thomas Pritzker, chair of Hyatt Hotels, entertainment executive Michael Ovitz, and U.S. News and World Report owner Mortimer Zuckerman. As of April 28th, Musk received a subpoena on the grounds of suspicions that Epstein might have referred or attempted to refer Musk to J.P. Morgan, according to a recent court filing. The subpoena calls for Musk to produce any documents displaying communication involving him, J.P. Morgan, and Epstein, and also any documentation about Epstein's involvement in human trafficking and or his sourcing of girls or women for consensual sex. The USVI claimed in a court filing that they had failed to locate Musk to serve him the subpoena in person, as per standard protocol. They further added that an attorney for Musk did not respond to a request to accept the subpoena on behalf of his client. Musk strongly criticized the notion of receiving a subpoena in this case through a tweet. This is ridiculous on multiple fronts, he wrote on Twitter, which he acquired and privatized last year. Back in 2018, Epstein claimed to the New York Times that he had been advising Musk following the opening of an investigation into Musk's remarks about privatizing Tesla by the Securities and Exchange Commission. A Tesla spokesperson clarified to the Times, it's incorrect to say that Epstein ever offered advice to Elon on any matter. James Daly. Staley who previously held the position of chief executive at J.P. Morgan's elite private bank, which listed Epstein as a client, subsequently became the bank's chief executive before leaving in 2013. He assumed the leadership of Barclays, a British bank, in 2015, but was ousted in 2021 due to his connections with Epstein. A recent court ruling accuses Staley of a woman at Epstein's Virgin Islands retreat. The ruling alleges that Staley employed aggressive force during the assault and told the anonymous victim that Epstein had given him free reign to do as he pleased with her. The records indicate that Staley had at least 31 meetings with Epstein between 2010 and 2015, many of which occurred after typical working hours. 
In April 2011, they dined with former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, and in January 2014, Staley joined a group at an Italian restaurant that included Epstein and Woody Allen. In April 2013, Staley attended a dinner with ex-Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak at Epstein's residence. In March 2015, seven months prior to his appointment as the head of Barclays, Staley emailed Epstein from St. Bart's in the Caribbean. He wrote that his daughter wished to discuss her future with Epstein, and that she was confirmed to graduate from Columbia University on July 1st. He implored Epstein to save the date and insisted on his presence. Around the same period, Epstein's assistant reminded him of Staley's request to have dinner with him and his family. However, the most unsettling entries in the calendar refer to Epstein ensuring the availability of wine during Staley's visits, which could potentially be a coded language for something else. Various entries from Epstein's schedulers underscored the necessity of having wine ready for Staley's visits. The term wine appears in other correspondences between the two men that were disclosed in a lawsuit involving J.P. Morgan and the USVI government. In November 2009, while Epstein was serving his sentence for sex crimes involving minors, Staley emailed him from his Caribbean island, appreciating their profound friendship and expressing his wish for them to be together there in the future. In December 2009, Staley acknowledged the risk of emailing Epstein, but expressed his gratitude for being able to give him a heartfelt hug in New York City. Following day, Epstein sent a redacted picture of a young woman to Staley, leading to a conversation about French wine and thoughts of alcohol. In previous exchanges from July 2010, the duo discussed Disney princesses, with Staley joking about being tracked and saying hi to Snow White. When Epstein asked which character Staley would like next, Staley's response, Beauty and the Beast, was met with Epstein's cryptic response, Well, one side is available. On February 14, 2012, Irina Shaikh's name appears in the records. During this period, the Russian model was in high demand, gracing the covers of renowned magazines like Esquire UK, and was in a relationship with football megastar Cristiano Ronaldo. Her career was on the brink of major success, including her debut on the silver screen in 2014's film Hercules. However, Shake's representatives vehemently deny any interaction or association with Epstein. The name of Wendy Murdoch, ex-wife of media tycoon Rupert Murdoch, can be seen under the date of September 27, 2012, with a note indicating a potential visit at 9 p.m. Another entry on November 6, 2010, mentions a Wendy, but no further specifics are given. Murdoch was still in a marital relationship with her spouse at that time, a union that ended in 2013 after 14 years. This potential interaction presents the most significant connection between Epstein and Rupert Murdoch thus far. On September 20, 2013, Epstein's schedule denotes a TBD dinner with Bill Gates, alongside Norwegian politicians Thorbjorn Jagland and Terje Rod Larsen. The entry suggests that Richard Branson might join the dinner. However, a source close to the Virgin Group's founder confirms his presence in the UK that night, where he was hosting the Stars of the Year event for his company and a party for Virgin Trains. CIA Director Burns, appointed in 2021 by President Joe Biden, interacted with Epstein around 10 years ago, when Burns was about to leave public service, as per the statement from CIA spokesperson Tammy Kupperman Thorpe. She stated, the director had minimal knowledge of Epstein, who was presented as a specialist in financial services, offering advice on transitioning to the private sector. There was no established relationship between them. Documents revealed that Burns, who encountered Epstein in Washington and visited his Manhattan townhouse once, had arranged meetings with Epstein in 2014. Numerous other meetings with high-profile individuals were set to happen at Epstein's townhouse, 
a location where prosecutors in 2019 claimed Epstein's many underage girls. Catherine Rumler, a former White House counsel during the Obama administration and later associated with Goldman Sachs Group Inc. in 2020, had numerous planned meetings with Epstein. As per the documents, she was set to join Epstein on a trip to Paris in 2015 and a visit to his private Caribbean island in 2017. Rumler first interacted with Epstein after he approached her regarding potential representation for Bill Gates and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, a Goldman Sachs representative informed the Wall Street Journal. The documents disclose that Epstein's staff debated whether Rumler might feel uncomfortable about the young female assistants at his townhouse. Several women, alleged to be Epstein's employees, questioned in the documented emails whether they should avoid his residence during Rumler's visits. Epstein asked one woman to stay away, but reassured another that her presence was acceptable. The Goldman spokesperson stated that Rumler did not express any discomfort about their presence during her meetings at the townhouse. According to the documents, Rumler had over three dozen appointments with Epstein, including luncheons and dinners. The Goldman representative said, Epstein routinely invited her to meetings and social events, introduced her to other business contacts, and provided referrals, similar to her engagements with other contacts and clients. Rumler was scheduled to accompany Epstein to Paris and his island residence in the U.S. Virgin Islands in 2017. However, the Goldman spokesperson clarified that Rumler never visited his island or accepted any invitation to travel with Epstein. Leon Botstein, the president of Bard College, held numerous meetings with Epstein at his townhouse, starting in 2012 to acknowledge his ongoing donations, including 66 laptops in 2015, as indicated by the documents. Botstein admitted awareness of Epstein's criminal history, stating, We did a background check and found he was a convicted sex offender. Bard has an extensive program providing education to inmates, and he added, We believe in rehabilitation. The documents reveal that Botstein, also the music director for the American Symphony Orchestra, invited Epstein to a 2013 opera at Bard and a 2016 college concert. Epstein intended to bring along some of his young female assistants on each occasion. Okay, so now before I get your thoughts and opinions, I know that the number one thing that people want to know about Epstein, or one of the main things, is, you know, his, his murder. Or, you know, as they say, suicide. So... Uh, this is some new stuff that came out about his death, so check out this clip. In 2023, the Federal Bureau of Prisons unveiled a trove of documents illuminating the circumstances surrounding the notorious financier's life and death in prison. According to the Associated Press, an early health check noted Epstein as having sleep apnea, constipation, hypertension, lower back pain, and prediabetes. His medical history also included treatment for chlamydia and over 10 female sexual partners in the past five years. The documents depict Epstein grappling mentally with his incarceration, with reports of him being restless, unable to sleep, and missing his sleep apnea breathing equipment. Following a bail rejection on July 18, 2019, Epstein attempted suicide, surviving with mere bruises and placed under suicide watch and later psychiatric observation. However, Epstein consistently denied being suicidal, even after spending 31 hours on suicide watch, claiming to lead a wonderful life. Prison officers logged observations of Epstein appearing deep in thought or resting his head against the wall. He also labeled himself a coward, voiced dissatisfaction with his prison jumpsuit color, and felt treated like a bad guy, despite good conduct. Epstein's confinement was starkly different from his lavish lifestyle, and he was devoid of even a functioning toilet at the time of his death. On August 9, 2019, the jail's chief psychologist recommended a cell shift due to a malfunctioning toilet. 
Irene Reyes was Epstein's cellmate until Reyes left for a court hearing on August 9, 2019. Despite his complaints, Epstein made certain adaptations, including opting for a kosher meal, requesting exercise permission, and spending $73.85 on commissary items, including a radio and headphones. On the day his cellmate left for court, Epstein met his lawyers and made a phone call to his mother, who had been deceased for 15 years. His demeanor was reportedly normal upon his return to his cell. Epstein's cellmate did not return after a court hearing the day before, and prison officials failed to pair another prisoner with him, leaving him alone. The next morning, Epstein was found dead, with multiple neck fractures, including the hyoid bone, often associated with hanging and occasionally with strangulation. The documents disclosed Epstein's efforts to establish contact with Larry Nassar, a convicted sexual offender and former physician of the U.S. women's gymnastics team. Nassar had been found guilty of numerous children and young women. While Epstein was detained at the Metropolitan Correctional Center, a letter he had written was found in the prison's mailroom. The letter, addressed to Nassar, had been returned unopened weeks after Epstein's death. The disclosed documents portray a chaotic prison system scrambling to manage the aftermath of the high-profile inmate's death. The lack of immediate information after Epstein's death frustrated the prosecutor involved in his case, and the Bureau of Prisons was accused of releasing public press releases without sharing basic information. The workers tasked with guarding Epstein the night he killed himself, Tova Noel and Michael Thomas, were charged with lying on prison records to make it seem as though they had made their required checks before Epstein was found lifeless. Prosecutors alleged they were sitting at their desks just 15 feet from Epstein's cell, shopped online for furniture and motorcycles, and walked around the unit's common area instead of making required rounds every 30 minutes. During one two-hour period, both appeared to have been asleep according to their indictment. An investigation by the Justice Department's Inspector General is still ongoing. Another email suggested that journalists might be paying prison employees for inside information on Epstein's death. An internal memo blamed issues at the jail on reduced staffing levels, inadequate training, and insufficient oversight. So, I mean, that's all I got for the Jeffrey Epstein, but I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it, Jake. Do you have any thoughts? Oh, man. So, overall, I know it was such a huge story for... Uh, the you know 2019 2020 when those first memes were coming out like Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself uh, it was everywhere and I, everybody thought it was so hilarious um, and they would slip the whole uh, like the meme would slip into all these other like gotcha moments where you'd be like reading a story and then at the very end it would be like and Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself and um, and you can imagine how if he really was tied with all of these extremely extremely powerful individuals of course they would try to cover up the fact that they had done these atrocities and just like that documentary that is coming out and and the topic of like adrenochrome and these cultic terrible dark things that are happening in the trafficking world um it makes sense that he had to be silenced um, what I can't figure out is is why Ghislaine Maxwell hasn't revealed. Oh wait, yes I can. It's because yeah. she's worried for her life. She wants to live out a comfy, comfortable prison sentence, right, with her commissary and whatever. And she's probably been warned. Look, if you spill the beans, you're going to be gone in the next. You're going to be Epstein. Like, that's probably what she's hearing, and that's why she's not spoken up. And 
And, uh, you know, the Black Book and, and the, the names of the people of that have gone and interacted with him is crazy. And I will say this, like, for the people that claimed that they were close friends with him, if Why? they weren't involved and if they didn't know what he was doing, then I think that can speak to the topic of you really don't know a person, right? If, if somehow they were able to be buddy-buddy with Jeffrey Epstein and never knew that he was involved with all this terrible stuff, I mean, I mean the, the it just speaks to the truth of, hey, you know, be careful who you're friends with mm -hmm. and, and be aware because you never know. They, you know, they could have a very dark past and or dark present. And, and future. Uh, and so... <laughs> And a future, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, what a crazy breakdown. I think your, uh, you know, combination of those clips is probably, you know, really helps put the puzzle pieces together about the topic if somebody doesn't really know it yet. Yeah, and I think, you know, like, it's so crazy. Okay, so when you think of a politician and Jeffrey Epstein, what, what do they always show in the mainstream media? Trump. They show him and Trump. Yeah. Mostly. Well, Trump never was on the plane, to my knowledge. I mean, you know, but they make a big deal that he had his photo taken with this guy. But you know how many photos I've taken with people? I don't know their back background, you know? Yeah, that's but true. Those are just my thoughts about it, because a lot of people think that that President Trump had something to do with it or whatever. But no, he was the only person that kicked him off or kicked out of Mar-a-Lago. Fun fact. All right, well, I got one more clip, yeah. and I want you to laugh. Are you ready to laugh? Now for our favorite conspiracy theorist in a funny moment, in a folky way, Alex Jones sings. The paradigm of absolute control. And that's why we're just out here doing simple things, pointing out that we're meant to be in nature and be natural. And try not to laugh. source that God made to transcend the new world order. And that's why they want to try to keep us out of it. I'm angry. Millions of poignant people of the very worst type 
with Next Wave Probiotics. Check this out. Next Wave Probiotics is an all-natural liquid probiotic made right here in the DFW Metroplex. Take one to three ounces daily to support your microbiome and immune system. Try it the next time you have heartburn. Drinking five ounces can relieve heartburn symptoms in 15 to 20 minutes. Order directly from Next Wave Probiotics. Their website is nextwaveprobiotics.com and enter code SKIBA at checkout for $5 off every 32 ounce bottle you buy. Now I wouldn't sell you guys a product that I didn't personally believe in. Both me and my mom have both tried it. My mom, it only took about 15 minutes to get rid of her stomach ache and about 10 minutes for mine. So get yourself some Next Wave Probiotics today at nextwaveprobiotics.com. Now that stuff is awesome, I will say. And remember, it's promo code SKIBA at checkout. And yeah, you should really try this amazing product. I'm trying to get the guy that, that is the, the man behind it to actually explain in more detail what it is on the show. And so he'll be coming on at some point. So... You guys check this out. Now you got some means for me, Jake? Oh, I do. There's the Charlie foot. <laughs> All right, well, meet me up. <laughs> meet me up. Alrighty. But I identify as an angel. Yeah, we don't play that game up here. <laughs> All right, uh, this is a rock reflecting sunlight, and this is a glowing heavenly body. <laughs> yeah. Happy 4th of Easter! Yeah. Ship international depression. Oh, hold on, I got it. True international depression! What must be what? Let's go, let's go late and lick the world. Let's get it done. It's so crazy that those are actual samples. Yeah, he actually said it. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> Let's go lick the world. This guy deletes social media accounts, sells everything, and moves to the wilderness. A carrier pigeon arrives with a message saying, Hello, we've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I've been getting so many scam calls. It's like... Success by 
attempt, right? They they probably have so many camp scam calls out that at some point somebody gets lured in and gives their info away or whatever. Man, I'll, I'll tell you the best way to get rid of them. Uh, like if the same, you can tell that they're the same people calling and calling. What I did was I talk like this and I say hello, and then they they say we're looking for uh, Jeremy Skyba, and I say. Oh, no, no, you have wrong number. I just got this phone number. I basically do an Andy Kaufman impression, and they take me out their list yeah. every time. So. That's hilarious. So try it out. Yeah, I gotta try that. I gotta try that. Uh, I'm not... Uh, oh, this is uh, Kermit. I'm going to start eating hell. You're gonna have to do this one, man. <laughs> I'm gonna have to... <laughs> I'm gonna... S Hold on. <laughs> I'm gonna start eating healthy. Also me, treat yourself one last time. You deserve it. Is that okay? <laughs> you do that so well, man. Oh, man. It's basically a Jordan Peterson, but, you know, a little bit of Kermit. <laughs> Alright, here's uh, the next one. The bee lives less than 40 days, visits at least a, a thousand flowers, and produces less than a teaspoon of honey. For us, it is only a teaspoon of honey. But for the bee, it is a life. So thank you, bees. Mm -hmm. Just over the past year and a half, I've been uh, being trained to be a beekeeper, and I'm really enjoying it. And uh, I heard recently that bees actually give off a healing frequency because of their vibration. And uh, there's a doctor that'll sit people on like a beehive box, and they'll like it'll like cure ailments. And uh, I'm really oh. interested in that, but uh, that's something I heard recently. That's pretty crazy. I'm scared of bugs, so I'll watch you do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm scared of bees if I didn't have a suit, that's for sure. Man, I got stung the other day on my hand. Ooh, it was painful. Yeah. But, uh, here we go. Uh, this says, I want to tell you about a girl who only eats plants. You probably have never heard of her before. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. She's a herbivore. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, street lights from an airplane. It's all foggy and kind of, you know, you can't really see it. And then streetlights from space. Looks like a tri Christmas tree, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I shared this one because I brought up that topic earlier about why don't we get to see fireworks from space? Come on. Like, the whole time the ISS has been circling and live streaming the Earth, it, it's never caught 4th of July evening. Like, that's just mind-boggling to me. Mm-hmm. They got enough satellite, quote-unquote satellites up there. I think they could take yeah, one, one little screenshot. All those pretty twinkling firework explosions. I mean, compare a firework to a streetlight. I mean, it would be just the whole southern U.S. Like, color and lights and uh, just... And smoke. Can't believe they haven't shown it yet. At the rate we're going, they're going to have to cancel shampoo so bald people don't get offended. <laughs> we're not far off. Although I am seeing there's a trend of anti-wokeness going mainstream now, so. Yeah. Make speech free again. You don't knock unless I married you, birthed you, or ordered food from you. <laughs> <laughs> I 
what like a friendly uh, welcome mat, you know? <laughs> it's like a uh, no soliciting. <laughs> no soliciting, but in a in a very uh, creative way, no soliciting. So. Yeah. All right. This uh, this is funny. CNN posted a picture of this boat being propelled by big kites. <laughs> Giant kites could pull cargo ships across the o ocean and slash their carbon emissions. We've come full circle. We're going back to the the old uh, naval ways of the past. Yeah. Sail is that a sailboat? Would you classify that as a yeah, sailboat? Yeah, it's just a regular sailboat. <laughs> All right, uh, this is like an Opaism. I don't know. Uh, if he sings, I'm out of the band. <laughs> it's a band of body parts, that's face funny. face parts, and uh, I guess I guess that's the butthead there. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, <laughs> not to end on such a corny note, but that's all the memes for this week. All right, Jake. Well, thank you for another great current news and memes as always. Opa, thank you for another great Opus Corner. You guys should subscribe to Opus Corner if you haven't already. I hope you guys enjoyed today's history segment and uh, hope you enjoyed today's episode. So never quit fighting. Let no man deceive you. Thank you for standing alongside us as we fight for justice and continue our quest for truth. Subscribe and stay tuned. If you would like to submit a story, topic, or have any other inquiries, please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skibanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skibanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi, please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560-271, The Colony, Texas 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, and click that notification bell so you never miss an episode of Skiba News Nation. If you want to help support us, please consider becoming a Patreon, where you will get exclusive content, shoutouts, and much more. You can also support our channel by getting yourself some new Skiba News Nation merch. Thank you for coming on this journey with us as we continue to stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Nation. Also, you can listen to Skiba News Nation podcasts on your favorite podcast platform.